Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet with Xfinity Flex, a 4K streaming device included, so you can search less and watch more. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash flex. Hello, hello, and welcome to For Fans of an entertainment podcast dedicated to all things streaming. I'm Shay Corgan. Joining me is Josh Hill. Josh, I want to talk about what's coming to Netflix in June, but first, I think we have to close the loop on our May recommendations. So, what did you think of Hollywood? I didn't dislike it. I wasn't in love with, in love with it, but it was exactly what I thought that we were going to get out of a Ryan Murphy show. It was weird. It was very campy at times, and it was almost like this alternate universe that he wants to live in for Hollywood. I got like extreme once upon a time in Hollywood vibes from it, where it's almost like this reimagined Hollywood where things are a little bit better. It's almost like what would today be like if we just dropped it in the 1950s, 1960s, 1940s, like what would today be like back then, like the knowledge of what we have now. So it was, it was trippy. It was not my favorite Ryan Murphy experience, but it was definitely I maybe heightened because I couldn't watch anything else. So, but I didn't. I didn't dislike it. What about you? I I had a little bit of a cringe experience because we recorded the podcast and we're like, cannot wait. This is going to be awesome. Like Brian Murphy doing old Hollywood, perfect. And then like it kind of. I don't know. I mean, for one on one hand, you have the sort of critical reception, which was not kind. Um, and I think it was. I think it's one of those things where it was probably more enjoyable for a lot of people than the reviews made it seem. But at the same time, at least for me, like there were a couple of those thoughts that I couldn't quite get out of my head. Like it reminded me of that meme. That's like, if I was so-and-so I would simply do this. And it was like, well, if I was a woman in the 1940s, I would simply take over a studio. And it's like, that's not how that works. And I think the sort of degree to which it dismissed the, the work and the sort of, you know, inches and small gains that were made back then was a little unpleasant. But at the same time, like, it was kind of fun. It was beautiful to watch. Like, the Oscar ceremony at the end got me. And I was like, I, I'm not happy. Like, I, I don't want to be moved by this. And yet, I am. Um, yeah, so... Maybe we'll do, I'm, I'm curious to see how our, our picks this month pan out um, in a month's time. So on that note, let's talk June. There are a couple really, we'll start with 
Netflix originals. There are a couple of really buzzy new seasons coming to the platform. The first one that I think we have to talk about is the June 5th release of the next season of 13 Reasons Why. Mm-hmm. Are you a 13 Reasons Why guy? I have 13 Reasons Why I wasn't into that show, but I... Uh, <laughs> It's one of those things where it just kind of floats around in the background, and you're like, look, I know that the first season was a thing, everybody's talking about it, but I was a little resistant to it. Um, and then I kind of dove into it, and I'm in. I mean, now we're, we're to this point in its run, like, I can't bail now. Like, you're so invested in it. So I, I'm, I'm not totally in, but I'm in, excited enough to see what we've got coming here. Yeah, I'm curious whether they can sort of right the ship, because they had... I mean, it's divisive subject matter to begin with, where there are always going to be people that um, are uncomfortable with the way mm-hmm. those topics are handled, and for, I think, good reasons on either side. But season three was, I think, yeah, season three was so sort of um, divisive, we'll go with that word, that they're not even, Netflix isn't providing screeners this year. So like, there won't be any reviews before it comes out. It'll all be something that we collectively experience together that first weekend. And it's it's their final season. And I think, you know, Game of Thrones is almost the opposite here, but like a really strong final season can sort of counteract or like help, you know, help make people forget those like middle two where it's like, oh, the first season was strong, you know, people can nitpick, but it was largely well received as like an adaptation of um, the young adult novel and it's like if they can nail the fourth season I think it comes away with a net positive um, but time will tell yeah and also I wonder how the subject matter versus like where we're at in our real lives kind of in how people interpret it that way I wonder if maybe like how I had to arrive at 13 reasons why a little bit later I wonder if maybe we the initial reaction to the last season is one way, but we revisit it maybe a year or so down the line. And we're like, oh, wait, actually, that wasn't that bad. So um, I'm interested in seeing how that's interpreted. Yeah. And I'm curious. I think, I don't know. I, I, it's one that's, it's, uh, I'm not personally invested in it. So I largely sort of enjoy it from like a sociological perspective. Um, but it did seem to kind of take like a pulpy Riverdale direction, mm-hmm. which is like high risk given where it started. And it's one of those like, when when shows are risky like that, it's always interesting to see if they can stick that landing. I'm so glad you mentioned Riverdale because I was thinking that. And I'm like, okay, I feel validated in my assessment that this got a little bit Riverdale-y here, which I didn't hate. So I don't know. We'll see. Cool. So what else is coming to June that you're excited about? In June, I'm really excited about uh, the Patriot Act. Can we talk about that? Because yeah. if we're talking about how the present day experience that we have is going to be interpreted through these Netflix shows, like 13 reasons why I think the Patriot act is like a perfect show for right now. You know, it's got that enough of the John Oliver vibe to it. I feel like John Oliver is kind of faded a little bit. He peaked like a year or so ago. We're still into him, but you know, he, he had his moment. And now <laughs> I think the Patriot act can really kind of come in and fill that especially because it's much more accessible than John Oliver's show is. It's just as good. It's just as informative. And it's dealing with these important matters is we're now as separate, more separated than we've ever been in our entire lives. I think a show that is meant to explain things and kind of bring people together and, you know, illuminate those gray areas a little bit in a really informative and fun way. 
Uh, I think that that's really important. And I just enjoy it. So, I mean, from a personal standpoint, I enjoy it from the larger, you know, you know, social impact that it can have. I think that this is almost a perfect show for right now, as far as bringing everybody together and, you know, educating everybody. I know that that's kind of a buzzword, educating everybody. Yeah, I think it's also really interesting how kind of when you mentioned John Oliver, like there's an evolution that happens with late night shows and they never go away really. Like it's when the baton has passed, it's not because a show ended. It's just like they kind of like jockey for position and like maybe, I mean, we saw, uh, who was it? I guess it would have been Colbert who like kind of came back after the election. Um, But with uh, Patriot Act, I think you're right that like the, we went from these like nightly, I mean, you could start it with like Fallon. Like you went from like very lighthearted nightly and then it was like kind of more serious and still nightly. And then you had John Oliver's, which was weekly and mostly serious, like still funny, like they're comedians, but like, like you said, educational and that, but that was still like HBO. So there was still a little bit of like network TV a cable TV barrier there. And now we're at Patriot app with a Minaj on Netflix where it's like, it's also weekly, which I think is still interesting, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's on what feels like the most common and most accessible streaming platform. And, you know, they often end up on YouTube afterwards too. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that as well. And excited to see what the episodes look like and what he's talking about. I'm also, this is like in the realm, but only in my head. I'm also excited, <laughs> since we were already talking about him, about Ryan Murphy's The Politician, which the second season, mm-hmm. it feels like the first season came out like yesterday. And the first season, I was in the camp that felt like it didn't really figure out, like the first couple episodes were okay, and the last couple episodes, there was like a eight hour pilot. And so <laughs> with that in mind, I'm excited to see what they do with the second season. Um, and it's it'll be, I think it's coming out at a really interesting point in Ryan Murphy's career where it's like he doesn't have anything left to prove, but he is coming off a um, a relative loss for him with Hollywood, at least in terms of you know critical appreciation. And I think one of the observations that I saw in the Hollywood discussion was that Netflix doesn't edit him the way FX and mm-hmm. FX has with American Horror Story and anything else. And like, it's kind of the classic Netflix problem that like mm, some showrunners like they kind of need that that studio head saying like, listen, cut fifteen minutes or cut whatever it is. Um, so I'm curious to see if, if it's just like a Netflix learning curve for him or what's going on. Like if there's yeah. ruin. I think, I think it's the Netflix learning curve. I'm, I'm fascinated by what Ryan Murphy's doing. And I feel like we've talked about him a lot, both the last <laughs> time we didn't have this. And also I was thinking about it. He's like low key, like my quarantine MVP, like <laughs> he keeps popping up in ways that I never expected. Like I've never thought about Ryan Murphy this much in my life, but I'm rewatching Nip Tuck. Hollywood just came out on Netflix. I watched the HBO documentary about uh, Michelle Carter and like she was obsessed with Glee. So I'm like, oh, well, there's Ryan Murphy again. <laughs> now we've got the politician. We've got Pose. Like he's yeah. everywhere. And it's like, like you said, I think that the Netflix learning curve is going to be interesting because I think Adam Sandler kind of did the same thing. Everybody that enters into this Netflix arena 
they have to adjust to the creative control that they have, which is what everybody wants. But as we're seeing with Ryan Murphy, maybe having that checks and balances of cut 15 minutes here, maybe move this storyline around there, maybe don't have an eight-hour pilot with this politician show because you are spinning like five or six plates at one time because he's got all those Fox shows, he's got everything else going on. I wonder if it's, I hope it's the learning curve. I also wonder if maybe he's oversaturating the market. And that's also why I'm like, oh, Ryan Murphy's all over the place. He's literally the voice in my head right now because I want everything I watch, he has touched in some way. So learning curve, I hope. The politician, I mean, we'll see, we'll see how that turns out. But of the Ryan Murphy projects, that one's the one that's probably further on the back burner for me. Yeah. Um, it's also the one where I was like, oh, yeah, Ryan Murphy's involved in that. Totally <laughs> forgot that. So I don't know what that says, too, about his, his creative control over that. Yeah. Well, I know we were going to save this for a little bit later in the podcast, but speaking of the Netflix learning curve, I know another one of your favorite directors is joining the Netflix family this month or releasing their, I think, their first Netflix. Mm-hmm. Want to talk, talk about Spike? Spike. My guy, Spike. Uh, yeah, The Five Bloods. That's it's. I feel like he's arriving to what Tarantino and Scorsese did last year with The Irishman and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where this is his, I'm looking back on my life. This is a very introspective, it's his old guy war movie. Yeah. So it's, it checks a lot of boxes for me. It's got Spike Lee. It's a war movie, so I'm into it there. It's also, <laughs> he's, it feels like he has something to say. And I think Spike Lee's most interesting when he has something to say about society. And he's really passionate about the message that he's delivering because he's had some misfires in his career nothing he's done hasn't been interesting in some way like Chirac you could say was a misfire but it was interesting because mm-hmm. like you know the point of Murphy's a pilot he's like here's two and a half hours of slam poetry on film like it's an interesting experiment to go through but this feels like Spike Lee's next film capital F film like this should be coming out in theaters this is like Black's Klansman he's still riding that wave I'm super excited for this. And it also seems like he's getting the band back together in a way. He's really figured out the troop of actors that he wants to roll with. And he's really bringing them all together here. Great story that he has to tell. I've been hyped about this ever since I first saw the trailer, ever since I saw him first announce it. If you follow him on Instagram, this is all he can talk about. So I'm super hyped for it. I think it comes out in the middle of the month, I think like June 13th or something. So... And my ultimate hope, the end game for me with this one is if the Oscars do indeed adjust their approach to this year's ceremony, where they're including things that are streaming, which is a seismic change in of itself with the Oscars, that's, I think, a road for Spike Lee to get back into that best director, best picture pool and kind of make up for what was maybe missed on Black Klansman, which is not as well-remembered as I thought maybe it would be when it came out. The Five Bloods seems like perfect textbook spike. And if we have a streaming path for him to go through to the Oscars, it might be this. So excited. Here's my fear, though. <laughs> is that, like, all those things are true. But like we said, and this is, like again, one of my pet peeves, that because Netflix, like, didn't put a runtime, yeah. like, didn't, didn't like because it was too like too much free will or too much like to draw or it's like it'll be just that little bit where like it's two and a half hours long or whatever which it's crazy I think that that's not that long for a movie these days but I'm just I'm so afraid of being like man that's like 
half an hour longer than a perfect movie. Like there's like, you know, yeah. and then, ugh, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully, I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic as well. And somehow until you had mentioned it in our sort of like pre podcast chat, I, it was totally off my radar. And I was like, how, how did I miss this? Why aren't more people talking about mm-hmm. a likely war movie on Netflix? This should be yeah. top of everyone's mind. And that's my fear too, is that it might fly under the radar because how are you going to market that right now? I haven't seen it marketed in a lot of places. <clears throat> I wonder if maybe it's because I do follow Spike Lee on Instagram and it is more plugged into my everyday digest of things that I look at on the internet that I'm perhaps more exposed to it than other people are, which is unfortunate because that also, you know, to tie a bow around the whole Spike Lee conversation, a lot of his projects, whether it's good because you've missed his misfires or bad because you're missing some of the greater stuff that he's doing, that lack of exposure seems to be uh, constant in his, you know, second and third acts of his career post, you know, Malcolm X and his, the height of him in the early 90s. It seems like he just doesn't have that exposure. And Netflix, Spike Lee seems like two very big, gargantuan names that should be just splattered all over the place. But also nobody's going outside. So <laughs> how are we, gonna, how are we going to, to market this to people? So hopefully they don't miss it. God knows I will pound the table. I'll talk about it next month, too, how much I hopefully loved it. Yes. Um, and another movie or late in the late in the month release that flew under my radar until sort of doing this research. Netflix is releasing a new sports documentary called Athlete A that is about the investigation um, and sort of reporting around the Larry Nassar and USA Gymnastics trial, which I feel like, you know, maybe contrary to this Netflix learning curve we've been talking about, They've been doing really solid with their sports documentaries. And we saw, you know, the year begin with Cheer um, and the uh, Hernandez one as well. And I think I, again, in, in terms of things that went from I wasn't even aware of it to like top of my to watch list, I would definitely throw Athlete A on there as well. Yeah, that checks a lot of the boxes that I am thinking that this, that Spike Lee and the Five Bloods might miss because there's this void right now after The Last Dance where people want another sports documentary and we don't, A, want to wait a year and B, wait a year for it to be nine parts about Tom Brady. So that's really, that's not exciting anybody. And I also think that this is a very important topic and the, the things that, the common thread of the things that um, Netflix does with all of these documentaries that capture people's attention, like the Hernandez documentary, and even the uh, trial by media that just came out that was in the top 10 for like a week and a half or something. It's important, interesting subjects. And the Larry Nassar thing, I think, is something that's going to capture a lot of attention. It's going to create a lot of dialogue. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something that's working for it. might not necessarily be working for some of the other things that we've been talking about, like the politician or the five bloods. So I'm with you 100%. Yeah. Another show that I could see definitely in this, I, I want to apologize in advance for this tonal shift for our listeners because it's going to be jarring. Um, but another show that I could see definitely popping up in the Netflix sort of top 10 in terms of shows that just, you know, everyone watches because they're, they're, they're what people are watching. And, you know, it's like that snowball FOMO effect. Um, but also because, you know, Netflix is easy to binge. The second season of Dating Around. Mm. The first season of Dating Around came out two, three years ago, something like that. Um, And I remember uh, it being a minor thing. People watched it. People were into it. You know, people were tweeting screenshots of it. But it wasn't 
it wasn't love is blind. But mm-hmm. now we are in a post love is blind post circle Netflix where you hear Netflix and post uh, whatever too hot to handle. You hear Netflix dating show and people are like, heck yeah, I'm in. And so I'm very curious to see if dating around the, if the second season, if it sort of skyrockets and, you know, keeps that momentum going. I have to imagine, yes. But, you know, the first season was was relatively lackluster. Um, but it, we are in sort of a new, a new landscape now. Um, and I, I would be, I mean, we can evaluate this in a month's time, but I would be shocked if that wasn't like at least one point number one on Netflix. Yeah, I'm with you. It feels like they've really cornered that market. It feels like kind of what E! did back in like the mid-2000s, the late-2000s, where it's just like one reality show hits, like Keeping Up the Kardashians hits, and then we've got every single other follow-up to that. Uh, Bravo is really good at this, too, with kind of going all over the place. So I think that Netflix is striking while the iron's hot here, clearly, by bringing back a show. Yeah. For a little bit. Um, it's really similar to Love is Blind. But also, I binge-watched Too Hot to Handle and enjoyed every second of it, as much as I hate myself for that. So I'm with you. I'm all in on this. Let's give me all of the dating shows. Give me all of the possible ways I can live vicariously and connect with an outside world. Right now, I'll do it. Just I'm selling my soul to the Netflix devil on this one. You mean they're on a date in a bar and they order drinks? <laughs> Human interaction. <laughs> You're going from like too out to handle or whatever, where it's like, ah, like part of the fun and fantasy is that they're on this tropical island to like, ooh, the fun and fantasy is that they're in a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> They've left the house. Uh, okay, so I I want to move now or shortly to what's coming to Netflix. That's not an original. That's, you know, a sort of crown jewel in their library that they're getting. But before we do that, any last new original arrivals that you want to talk about? No, just uh, if we're looking for something that's going to hold us over, that it has a proven track record of not being bad and is coming back at a right time for comfort food, I think Queer Eye is something that's going to... Yeah. I'm really looking forward to Queer Eye. Yeah. Some good, like, wholesome, positive crying. I can't wait. Like, it's all going to be... <laughs> It's, it's, I think maybe we're all like a little bit too emotionally vulnerable right now for that. Mm. But also, that's the perfect time for a new season of Queer Eye. <laughs> <laughs> totally. All right. So shifting gears then, new things that are old things. I'm personally most excited for Walk Hard, uh, the Judy Cox story. Mm-hmm. A movie I have never seen, but it has come up multiple times and every time, like, I hear about it, I go to, like, oh, my God, I have to watch that. There's never been a movie that seems more in my alley than, like, a riff on music biopics from, like, all these comedy greats. And it's never any, it's never streaming anywhere. So I've gone through this cycle of, like, oh, my gosh, I have to watch this movie. I cannot watch this movie unless I want to pay for it, which I realize is, like, a, I should just pay for it. But anyways, patience won out here. And I saw it on, like, the coming in June list. And I was, like, finally... Finally, I will get to watch Lockhart. <laughs> I know. that's uh, it, That one and Step Brothers are two that came out, I think, around the same time. Where I remember watching them the first time. I'm like, this is probably one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. But then you rewatch it and it sticks with you. And you're like, wait a second. This is like so dumb that it's brilliant. And it's just like all of the inside jokes, all of the lines. Like I quote that movie more often than I ever thought I would. And I don't even recognize that I'm doing it. So... Prepare for that experience, Shay. 
diving into that, that world. To watch it and then be like, oh, so this is where all Josh's expressions come from. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. What else are you excited for? I've just gone on about what I'm watching the second it's on Netflix. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, the five bloods I mentioned, but as far as things that aren't new, uh, I haven't, I have a confession to make actually. I've only seen Lady Bird once. I watched it in the theaters and I didn't see it again. I thoroughly enjoyed my experience watching it. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that coming to Netflix so I can dive back in, especially after having watched Little Women and enjoyed it and Greta Gerwig, uh, everything she does is just phenomenal. So now, that at the time, Lady Bird was kind of new as far as discovering just how brilliant Greta Gerwig is at everything that she does, and it didn't really sink in the way that I wanted it to. That maybe now that a couple years perspective and another project in between, revisiting that in kind of the same way that you go back and you revisit early, you know, Scorsese or some of these other really iconic directors and say, "Oh, I see what they were doing there." I, I now have a different appreciation for everything that she was doing. So I'm really looking forward to going back on Lady Bird and looking at that from a different perspective, through a different prism. Um, and also that I can say that I've seen it more than once, which is a little embarrassing as somebody who likes to pride themselves on knowing things about film. Having only seen Lady Bird once seems like a slight blind spot. Um, and then I would also pivot to V for Vendetta, which is complete 180 from, from Lady Bird. Um, but that's, that's one of those like pulpy, especially with all of this talk about the matrix coming back and the matrix is on Netflix. And I know the Wachowskis didn't direct, uh, V for Vendetta. They were involved in the writing process of it, but it's kind of like the matrix adjacent and it's also comic book movie adjacent. So it checks a couple boxes there. That's another one to go back and revisit. Very pro masks. Pro masks. Yes. And we're living in a post Tom Hardy mask world too. So also, going back and seeing a movie where the main character has his face covered and it's not Tom Hardy is going to be a little bit jarring. But <laughs> it's getting different you go weaving and not Tom Hardy. It's like, wait, what movie am I watching? Uh, so those, those are two that, that really stick out to me. Yeah, I, I'm with you with Lady Bird. I feel like that's a huge get for the streaming service and one that will definitely, a lot of people... Um, I think we'll be uh, sort of moved and excited to watch it again and then subsequently moved to call their moms again, which I feel like was the sort of refrain of everyone leaving those theaters and be like, yeah, the first thing I did was call my mom. It's like, we're all going to be still, hopefully, social distancing. And I'm like, all right, time to call my mom again. <laughs> but yeah, on the subject of pulpiness, though, I am excited for... The, the theme of this section for me is like movies that I've been meaning to watch for like a full decade and haven't. <laughs> Ape Fear, which seems just like an absolute pulpy masterpiece. Um, that is definitely, definitely one that I, I here's, here's the story that's going to happen for me in Cape Fear. I'm going to say that I want to watch it because I do. I'm going to be aware that it's on Netflix and then I'm not going to watch it because I have like a zillion other things to watch. And then we're going to have this conversation when it's leaving Netflix and I'm going to be like, Oh my God, I have five days to watch Cape Fear. And then I watch it. Um, the same thing I think is going to happen for me with Hannibal. Again, another thing I've been meaning to watch for so long and I'm so excited that it's going to be on Netflix all three seasons. Like I, it's, 
it's another one that like I I came in at this the reverse way. Everyone sort of approached Killing Eve with like Killing Eve is like really great for fans of Hannibal. It has like a lot of the same DNA. And I'm going the other way where it's like I love Killing Eve, and I'm like, well, maybe I should go back and watch Hannibal. Will I will I do it before Hannibal invariably leaves? Hopefully. Um, I don't have a ton of faith in myself in this, uh, but I would say it's definitely on the short list of uh, of things that um, you know I was excited to see were coming to Netflix. Yeah, I also stand Mads Mikkelsen, so that's yeah. a good that's that's that checked a lot of boxes for me as far as what is this what does this show have to offer that is going to interest me. Mads Mikkelsen, I'm in. So, and I think isn't also like Silence of the Lambs coming to like we're going big Hannibal. Yeah. Netflix went big on Hannibal Lecter this this month, so right. <laughs> I don't know where their mindset is, but I don't I don't know if I want to start connecting dots with Hannibal Lecter all of a sudden all over Netflix. They're they're trying to read the room and they're like, all right, let's give them <laughs> lots of Hannibal content. <laughs> Netflix, Netflix, that's dark. <laughs> also, I'm looking forward to Clueless coming to Netflix. Clueless is classic. And also I watched Emma. I was really excited for Emma. Uh, or as I would call it, Emma period, because they really throw the period in there. Um, to let you know this is a period piece. So I didn't dislike Emma. I didn't like it as much as I wanted to. And the whole time I kept thinking, this is basically the complete circle of Clueless. Because Clueless is the same story. And yeah. Clueless feels like the better movie. Uh, Emma didn't really give me what I wanted and it made me just want to watch Clueless the whole time. So now I can finally go back and watch Clueless. That's really the extent of my excitement for that. Uh, but also, you know, the nineties nostalgia and yeah, also with Clueless being as brilliant as it is. I had almost the exact same, uh, experience where I watched Emma period, uh, this past weekend and went through it where it's like, I've seen the original, I think I've seen when I was very young, the original Gwyneth Paltrow or the original like Gwyneth Paltrow Emma. So I've seen that and I know the story, but the whole time I was watching the new Emma, which I think I'm in sort of the same boat. I, I enjoyed it, but I was not like rushing to recommend it to people. Um, the whole time I was, I was sort of matching the characters in Emma to their clueless counterparts. Like that was how I was contextualizing the story. Um, and yeah, I also sort of came away with it being like, all right, like, this was good, but like, man, like now I want to watch Clueless. Um, so very excited to see that come into the platform. Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good costume drama. So that's what I was hoping Emma would be. Not necessarily so much the drama part, but now kind of looking back at Clueless and justifying that to a certain extent as a costume drama of the 90s. is also It's fun and also very depressing. It's a period piece now. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Well, I think we can sort of begin to wrap up, but we sort of talked on this broadly throughout, like it's kind of the genesis of the whole thing. But if you had to specify one show and give a quick pitch on what you're going to watch, originally this was like what you're going to watch first, but with the rolling release dates, it's what are you, what are you most excited about coming to Netflix in June? Go. It 100% the five bloods for all of the reasons mentioned and so much more. Like I'm really hoping that this becomes both a blockbuster for Spike Lee because the man deserves it. And also this could be, we haven't really had that first big Netflix movie where it's like a film where the you know, cinema critics are like, Oh, this is, this is what we're looking for when we're talking about prestige movies. Um, like the Irishman last year, we haven't really had that. Like we've been mentioning, it's mostly been documentary focused or, 
you know, Love is Blind, which is aggressively not prestige Oscar part. <laughs> so, the, you know, the five bloods is what I'm looking forward to. And also as far as things that are leaving that, I'm gonna, I guess you can't really binge this one in how many of her days are left in the month. But Mad Men leaving Netflix seems like the closing of a chapter. Because that Mad Men and Breaking Bad very much feel like shows that benefited from being on Netflix. Like, mm. they're great, great shows. Iconic, Walter White, you know, all of this, Breaking Bad. It, they stand on their own. But the Netflix entry point to both of those shows, I think, really propped up their legacy. So Mad Men leaving Netflix kind of feels like the end of a, end of a chapter a little bit. Yeah, it does. And it feels like that's going to make it harder for people, people that didn't watch it the first time through, mm-hmm. people that didn't watch it on that sort of Netflix re-up, people that even didn't sort of watch it when, you know, quarantine started and everyone was like, what, show, what shows can we watch to get us through this? And I was like, here's Mad Men at the ready on Netflix. It does feel kind of like you said, like the, like the end of a, of an end of an era of its sort of like lifetime legacy. Like Mad Men's the kind of show that it's not going to go away, but, <laughs> but it does. Um, it does. I don't know. It, it feels like an inflection point. Yeah. All right. Um, I think for me, I've been going back and forth on this throughout the show and like the last 24 hours. I think I'm going to go with athlete. A. I think I've sort of, not necessarily talked myself into it, but really when I think about the kind of stories and entertainment that I would definitely want to like carve out time for and like make sure I watch, I think it's a story that didn't get necessarily like the treatment or the attention that it deserved when it came out. Like, yes, it was like in the headlines, everyone was aware of it, everyone talked about it, but I don't think... And this, I, I don't know how to phrase this well, but I think if you could say benefit, I think it it will benefit from <laughs> this. Like is painful for me to say as a writer, but it will benefit from a Netflix docu series versus a multiple thousand or mm-hmm. paper story. Where unfortunately the reality is, people don't read those, and I think I don't know. I I am. Again, excited feels like the wrong word, but I I want to watch this documentary and I, I'm going to make the time for it and I hope everyone else does because I think mm-hmm. it's somehow, maybe I just like wasn't paying attention for the last week or so, but it doesn't feel like one that like, I mean, Last Dance hype, even Hernandez hype, like was, everyone knew those were coming to the bottom. Everyone knew like, oh yeah, that's, we've heard about this. Like I haven't really heard a ton about it and I'm, I'm, afraid that that means it's not good because those two tend to go hand in hand where you hear less about documentaries or movies that aren't great um but yeah no that's my long and rambling pick for why i feel like that's going to be the one that i i make time for yeah i'm I'm with you on that one i i do hope that it is as important as it feels it should be uh, whether or not it ends up being important in the month of June or if it ends up being something that we circle back to, I think is we'll let time tell. But hopefully one of those two things happen because I'm with you on all of those points. Especially in the context, it just occurred to me, of no Summer Olympics. So we won't mm. have gymnastics this year. Um, 
Anyways, <laughs> this is that I'm a real bleak divergence here. Um, well, okay. So that's our show. Um, you're Josh Hill. I am. Morgan. This is for fans of a entertainment podcast about all things streaming on Fansided. Like, listen, subscribe, and join us next month for more Netflix picks. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.